Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. Once again, I'm Bradley, gradually getting better. And joining me this week is someone whose partner isn't sat up on the sofa behind them moaning because we won't dedicate a podcast to them because they've hurt their ankle. It's Stu. How are you doing, Stu? Yeah, I'm okay. No, I haven't got somebody directly behind me, but I've always got an insistent little voice in my head. And I thought it was probably my wife's, but no, I think it, now that I've worked it out, I think it's probably Satan. No, no, that's me. Ah, that makes much more sense. Because yeah, I don't does. believe in the devil, so... Yeah, I believe in you, and you are something to be frightened of, so... I, yeah. I am. Uh, this is our delayed spoopy season episode, Dead, I'm something to be afraid of. Uh, but, yeah. Without a doubt. Without no. doubt. Uh, just one bit of business to go through. I was uh, back back out and about in the, um, in the, in the public consciousness so to speak, the last week, uh, going to appointments and stuff. Uh, buses are death tubes. That's all, that's all I really want to say. A bus is an absolute death tube. Women get on the bus and asked some other old old fella behind me if she could sit next to me. And he went, no, because my wife's getting on the bus. And then she just came and sat next to me, didn't ask, no mask. And when I said, excuse me, would you kindly not sit next to me because you're not wearing a mask? She got very, very uppity and angry with me. I was like, no, I don't. You've not got a mask on. Don't sit next to me. And when I went, I'm getting over COVID. She quickly moved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would do it. Yeah, no, it's amazing how selfish people can be until they're. Uh, yeah, it's pointed out that they're at risk. Yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, I thought that was. I thought that was quite funny. Do you know what else puts you at risk? What lack of video games? So we better start yeah. talking about them. Very true. So. I've got a lot this week. You've only got a couple, really, haven't you? So shall I kick off? Yeah, please do. I'm going to kick off with a bang. An absolute bang. I've been playing what would have been considered AAA titles about half a, half a decade ago. But I've been playing, to start with, the remasters of Crisis 2 and Crisis 3 on Switch. Ah, um, right. Ooh. Now, we spoke about Crisis 2 recently, and we both agree it's very good. I don't think it's controversial to say that Crisis 2 is the best. Crisis comes second and Crisis 3 slips in just about third. Nothing wrong with Crisis 3, and I'll come to that in a sec. Crisis 1, I felt, had lots of good ideas and it was like a technical showpiece. uh, But I thought Crisis 2 was just much more fun. Um, And it's still a fun game. The fact is you could just like, I love the idea of an overpowered protagonist, and that's what you get in Crisis 2. You could kind of walk through that like you're the Terminator, but without any resistance whatsoever at times. It's just like invisible. Yeah, that'll do. Hardened suit, so you can't actually be hurt. That'll do. Shoot everything you see. A few corridor sections into nice big set pieces. What a wonderful game it still is. And I'd be playing it on the Switch. And yeah, just pick it up for five minutes, have a blast around. I think I've stuck it on the easiest mode because I've played it a few times over. And I don't want the challenge, I just want to shoot crap. And Crisis 2 is still, I think, one of the most underrated FPS titles of the last decade. Um, coming in probably slightly behind Titanfall 2 for me. It, it clips easy and it outlasts, I think, any of the more recent Call of Duties. And just, yeah, just the way it works, I think it takes everything that works with Crisis and strips back the stuff that made it 
a bit inaccessible and just made i think one of the most amazing fps titles of the last few years very cool yeah i've got a lot of thoughts on the crisis series so first off yeah i i disagree on the order that doesn't mean you're wrong well, actually, it does, but I'm just being polite. No, I've watched, um, just to backtrack a little bit, I've watched a lot of Digital Foundry videos, and they confirmed something that I'd heard as a rumour, which is that the Xbox and PlayStation 2, no, 3, versions of Crisis, the original game, yeah, they don't have all the AI in them. Mm-hmm. And the all the AI routines were available in the... the the higher stages, the higher difficulty stages of the original game on PC. Yeah. And they weren't included because of memory reasons on those consoles. So that's a big thing. But then <laughs> they cocked up massively when do it when remastering these because they remastered them from an engine that was built for the consoles. Mm. So you're still not getting the original Crisis experience because it still doesn't have all the AI routines. And the original Crisis is very, very much like Halo CE mm. in ter- when you're playing it on Heroic or Legendary, in that it's got really clever AI and it transforms the game. So I think that it scores lower these days because the AI just isn't there, and that's through poor remastering. And they got such a, a lashing for the Crisis remaster when it was released solely on its own that they actually asked Digital Foundry to help them <laughs> the Crytek team did yeah. when they were doing 2 and 3 and they also took control of it rather than letting a third party developer do it and from what it sounds like the remasters of those two are much more successful Yeah. so that's the first bit <clears throat> but I, I entirely understand your, your ordering uh, and I completely agree with Crisis 2 being a fantastic and underrated game. It's really, really good. I think it it hit two problems. One, again, that Digital Foundry told me, but another one that, yeah, just know from myself. So the one that Digital Foundry told me was that it ran at like 10 frames per second on like PS3 and, mm. and Xbox 360. Now, I played it on PC, so I didn't have that drawback. So I was there going, oh, this game is great. And then looking around going, guys... Guys, why is there nobody saying this? Yeah. Uh, and I think it's because the console ports were nigh on unplayable. Um, and the well, other thing is, I think... Well, yeah, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't care back then either, so I, I played <laughs> it and enjoyed it. So there you go. Yeah, but you are a, a rare and beautiful flower, you see. And yes. Not all people are. Um, but yeah, I think also the other thing was that there were a lot of, you know, shooters coming out, FPSs at that time. And I think that it was a bit of a glut uh, especially on console, and lots of people trying new things. And I think that with making technical mistakes, that kind of shoved it right to the back of the queue as well. So it it really deserved this remaster. It's such a shame that they buggered up Crisis. I really hope they come back to it in a few years again and just go, you know, Crisis PC version remasters and just stick everything in there and charge a fiver for it. Or do an update to the existing remastered collection at some point, call it a special edition, anything. Just get the original game out out there. And final thing on it, the reason that they don't is because the original Crisis on PC was so heavily single-threaded and so reliant on processor speed because they thought that Moore's Law was going to carry them forward with processor speeds doubling every year and we'd all be on 20 gigahertz 
you know, CPUs by now, that it's really hard as a core, um, you know, engine uh, to to get it working even on modern consoles and even on some PCs. Yeah. So what they needed to do is re- kind of rebuild it from the ground up, or, you know, a remake rather than a remaster, but incorporating all the AI. So there you go. That's more history on Crisis than anybody would ever want. Play or ever expected this week. Yeah, probably. Um, but no, I agree. I mean, I played the original Crisis on PC. I had a friend that had a really powerful PC. Uh, but he went, you've got to see this game. You have got to see this game. Watch. You can shoot the branch and the branch falls off and, and stuff like that. And it was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. my God. Just, wow. That that was at the time where you looked at video games and went, how realistic can they get? Um, honestly, I think they peaked at Crisis in terms of realism, in terms of what you could do. Uh, in terms of what we needed in video games anyway. Soldier Fortune taking off individual limbs, you know, you had that. But anyway, um, I, I played that. And what I always found with Crisis, even playing the original PC version, back then when I was like, oh, I'll play it all on difficult because I'm hard in it. And it was a technical marvel. It was impressive. It was enjoyable. But... When I then played Crisis 2, the one thing that stuck out about Crisis 1 to me was it just wasn't fun. It was great. It was a wonderful game. It wasn't fun. Crisis 2 was fun. Um, and I think that was the main difference for me. Crisis is still the more most impressive of all the games. Crisis 2, I think, is the best overall package. And just to touch on Crisis 3, I want more games where you get a bow and arrow, like a high-tech bow and arrow. Uh, that kind of died with Crisis 3. You had some other games tried it and brought it and done other things. But the uh, the bow and arrow in Crisis 3, oh, yes, please, more of that in games. Another game built around that would be very, very welcome. And I actually think as a trilogy, Crisis is the most underrated trilogy of games out there. Yeah, it could well be. It could well be. It's it's so different from game to game. So the first one, like you say, is is very technical. It's it's a wide open space. It's more like the original Far Cry game. They were coming off the back of Far Cry. The second one is more of a, a linear sort of hub, well not hub area, but yeah, more of a linear corridor shooter, yeah. but in a really, really good way that, that breaks out into these little kill zones every now and again kill zone being another one that needs a remaster but we'll come to that another time <laughs> and uh crisis 3 was much more of a sort of technical exercise the level design isn't brilliant but the weaponry is excellent and the yeah. ai routines are are again back to being really really cool and i agree with you on the uh on the bow and arrow thing it's like a instant kill it's a bit like the golden gun in golden eye pretty much but with the exception that you only have a limited number of arrows and you you can retrieve them and that when you get later on in the game and there's more enemies and they're more aggressive using them to kill them but then having to get past their their buddies to retrieve the arrows is a game in itself yeah. which is a, a really really excellent excellent mechanism and brings me back to that thing of why didn't more people copy the gears of war thing of you know active reload where if you hit the right mark you get you know, a, a bonus for doing that. And they should have done that with the crisis thing of, you know, you've got a bow and arrow, it's incredibly overpowered, but it's got limited things. But if you're good at stealth, you can combine the two and get the arrows back, and you know, all that. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there that, it, you know, hasn't been built upon. And I think it's laziness in a, with a lot of developers and they just want either to do a cinematic thing or do a, a multiplayer online thing where they, you know, that kind of level of sophistication isn't isn't required. So yeah, it's it's kind yeah. of a little bit lost to history. 
and I think also a lot of major publishers, I would say, rather than developers, I would go major publishers, looking at games that wasn't as successful as they should have been and not understanding why they weren't successful. A guy like, it must have been everything we've done with this game, so we don't do any of this again. Uh, yeah, that's a really good point. Which is a shame. But yeah, both seem to run really well on the Switch. Uh, again, I would always caveat that with, I seem to see life in 12 frames per second, apparently. So I don't know. It's the drops. Um, I suppose there's a little bit of slowdown in really busy areas in Crisis 2 that I noticed. But again, nothing that, you know, if I if I enjoyed the console versions a first time around, then it wasn't anywhere near as bad as those. And they was meant to be bad in places. So, but yeah, for me, really good ports. And the fact is, a Switch can run Crisis 1, 2 and 3. That, that's where we are with video games now. That, that, that's that's, that's the thing. <laughs> yeah. Something yeah, slightly totally bigger than a calculator from the 80s and it can run, it can run Crisis and then some. I know. It's, it's absolutely insane. It, it's crazy. I, I think I saw on one of the DF videos that it's running at a pretty much locked 30 frames per second. So yeah. I think anybody you know, would be more than happy with that on the Switch, especially when... Games like uh, The Witcher 3 were crammed on and, and they were a technical marvel, but often drop to like sub 20 frames per second and mm. starts to look like a flick book kind of thing. Well, I will be in one of my few later games today. I will be bringing up Witcher 3 briefly uh, based on a, another game I've just played. But I'm gonna we're going to move on from Crisis because people complain. They don't complain. No one writes into us. But people complain, like <laughs> the fake straw man, that we're not very modern. Stu, that we play a lot of older games and stuff like that. So we rely on you. What have you been playing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've got the old stuff and the indie stuff covered. Um, luckily, I, yeah, I mean, I'm just, with, with modern stuff, I'm so disappointed by so much of it that I just wait till it's cheap. I'm waiting till it's cheap means that it's older and therefore people aren't bothered. And that's on them, not me. It's like having your fifth child. You just go, the first few, you're like, I'm really excited for them. You get to your fifth child and you just go, look, we'll wait till they're a teenager, see what sticks and then go from there. Yeah, do some damage reduction. When that, that's modern yeah. gaming. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, I have been involved in modern gaming, and but way, way far away from AAA. So I've been playing a, a, a game called V Hover Racing. And... Ooh. So, as the title might suggest, it's a VR game. Um, I'm kind of early days. I had to put it to one side because I wasn't, I wasn't getting on well with the controls. And the problem is, I was like, it's got. So, okay, let's backtrack again. It's a, it's a, it's a racing game where you're racing bikes, but they're hover bikes. Now, it'd be like, okay, well, that's just a superficial thing, then, is it? Well, it's te- possibly not because you can use the the controllers as you would a handlebar setup. So you can hold them to your sides, you know, shoulder length, shoulder width apart, and yep. hold them on their sides rather than directly up like you would a pistol. And theoretically, then you can lean, and the headset will detect your leaning motion to steer, uh, and twisting the controller backwards and forwards in your hand should activate the throttle so you can you know choose your speed so i gave that a go but i was really struggling with it it wasn't picking up the 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 correct range of motion so i was having to move it up rather than forward <laughs> so rather than yeah. twisting it forward like you know 
like you twist your your kid's neck when they're annoying you I was kind of like flipping it up like when you flip them up in the air so they can land on the head when they're annoying you um so it, <laughs> all that don't call child services a I don't have kids and b I was only joking uh but I couldn't <laughs> get any of that like working properly it just wasn't you know, it wasn't registering properly. And also I found finding the sweet spot for the sensitivity for, for the leaning motion uh, hard to hard to get right. So I put, I put that kind of control method aside and I went to using an Xbox pad, which was fine. Worked straight away immediately, but then it was pretty much pointless because it just felt like any other racing game. And the courses, you know, were just not very exciting for that kind of a play. Yeah. So it's between two stools at the moment, which is unfortunate, but I'm I'm really hopeful that I can tweak it enough so that I can get the intended setup to work because if it works, that will be really really good. Yeah, though no, it sounds really interesting. Uh, I I I've always got to hear that the the uh the holding like handlebars doesn't quite work as well as you'd hope because that just sounds really cool i'm like i'm thinking the idea of playing like a mountain biking game in vr but holding something like handlebars and doing that oh, that that i'd almost accept some plastic tack to, to sort of like put it into because that sounds like that'd be really fun to play in like vr doing that kind of thing yes well it seems to be it seems like if it works it will be uh, but there's one big, big caveat, <laughs> and anyone who owned a Wii will will understand this. When you were playing games with a Wii, how often were you holding up the nunchuck and the remote, and how often were they just gently rested on your thighs while you did the <laughs> did the stuff? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because most of the time it was resting on your thighs, and with the, this handlebar setup, you've got to keep your arms up. You, you know, you can't have them just resting down. I mean, maybe technically you could tweak it so that you could, but then it wouldn't feel like, you know, handlebars anyway. So No, but if you played... So, so, I don't know if you ever... Have you used any of the Labo stuff? No, no, I never did. So there was one Labo thing that's like a bike steering thing. You build all the cardboard up and you kind of like... It kind of rests and gives you a platform so you've got a physical thing to hold with the uh with the uh joy cons in either side so it actually feels like you're turning it and twisting it rather than holding it into empty space you've got it on a physical thing that's what i said almost like the plastic tack would almost help in in this way so you could whether you sit in there and you like you you have got a bit you sit on to keep it mounted and then you it's forward and you could do it so you've actually got a physical representation in your hands as well that that something like that could work i i think sort of like the plastic tat thing ruined it during the wii thing because i still think there's a lot of potential for taking motion controls and doing stuff with them especially in vr yes there are yeah there's always going to be that barrier of of the physical you know the physical configuration because like you say the tat helps because it it fills in that gap quite literally in a lot of cases um the only way i think it would work if you included that in the, in the bundle when you bought a headset, so you could have a transforming plastic piece that you could use either as a stand for games like this, so you could adapt them into racing games, uh, and you could adapt it to be like um, the stock of a, a machine gun or a rifle, so for, you could use that for shooting games. Yeah. And you can buy that sort of stuff separately, but A, if it's separate, loads of people aren't going to buy it. And anyway, there's an argument that games should work out the box with the things that they're designed for. Mm-hmm. And secondly, you know, that that re- means remembering it, setting it up, the cost, all that sort of thing. So, yeah, 
Yeah, it's one of those that will probably be... If, if it does work, it will probably be confined to, you know, short blasts and stuff like that without any additional plastic tat. Yeah. But yeah, fingers crossed, we can get it going. If not, I might try and jury-rig something that... I might just lie down on my bed, you know, and then I can pretend like I'm on a hover sled rather than a bike and I'm doing it that way. Yeah. What what we need, I think what we need is you, you've got quite a lot of big empty buildings at the moment, haven't you? Now, I think this is a really good idea. Tell me if, like, tell me if you think this could work. You've got this big building, right? And what you do is you put video games in this big building, right? But what you could do is you could actually tailor make experiences on a single video game so you could have like a car driving video game but you get like an actual almost like a car set up to sit in with an actual wheel you could do a skiing type game and actually have skiing physical things going on you know you could get like shooting games you've got actual physical guns that you could hold and proper what you do is you put like maybe 50p or a pound in them to play them one at a time yeah i think if that was going to work somebody would have tried it already yeah, I mean, it's something from the arc, I suppose, and, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. This, I mean, this is one of the reasons I love playing VR games, because they are the closest to an arcade experience in loads of cases, yeah. and uh, they, they're really pushing things forward. But there are times where it bumps up against, oh, well, really, you need something physical to complete the experience. Yeah, I think we're going from that. Honestly, we've, got, we've gone from, do you know, we've gone from, I think, that, oh, my God, but in the arcade experience into the home, that's amazing. And it was to now, I'm, I'm playing games and I, I might come to one in a bit that I think could work in an arcade setting in a way where we're looking at games and going, oh, That'd be amazing to play as an arcade game in an arcade. Yeah. I don't know. Are we close? Are we close maybe to seeing like the arcade come back? Because there's a lot of retro arcade places popping up, isn't there? With like the old 70s and 80s cabinets that you can go and play and stuff like that. So I I wonder if we're close to a proper arcade. I don't mean like you get like the crappy, like you get tickets for playing games, like proper like arcade games, arcade. I, I wonder if we are maybe a decade away from seeing something like that come back yeah very possibly yeah there's going to be more real estate like you say because there's going to be fewer businesses using up space and yeah i think that people like are taking their kids along to these things to show them the arcades of their youth and if they like that experience they're going to want to create modern versions when they grow up so yeah we could be 10 10 years away from something like that that'd be great i mean i've got I've got like the two player Pandora box and the part of me's going, oh, I wish I had a bit of skill because I would turn that into a cabinet. Yeah. I, I, I would build a cabinet because it needs to be played standing up, looking at a screen. Hell, I'd even get an, a, an ashtray. I don't smoke, but I'd even get a dirty ashtray <laughs> and recreate the smell and, and sticky floor and everything. But it's... um. Oh, yeah, there's something about arcades. And just as an aside, I know this is a complete aside, but um, in, have you ever been into a Smith's Toy Shop recently? No, no, I haven't. So in a Smith's Toy Shop, you could buy at the moment these uh, dedicated build-it-yourself arcade cabinets for about like 350 quid. It's like Street Fighter and that's all it is. Like about, I'd say three-quarter size for what you'd get in a, um, in a, in a proper arcade and about one third the build quality but they've got like a pac-man one a a street fighter one a couple of other ones and they've always got like demo units up of those in in smith's toy shops and they're always being used you see sort of like people sort of my sort of age going stand back i'm gonna play a bit of pac-man 
because that's what I used to do. And you also see kids just intrigued by these things as well. So I think there's definitely a a market out there for it. What it also needs, I think, is a lot of people from our generation to maybe get over themselves a bit and not gatekeep how games should be enjoyed. Definitely. If we do have to put up with LCD screens or whatever and slight changes and... Uh, and whatever, just to get people through the arcade doors to play Pac-Man, well, you know, 30 different, I don't know, Namco exclusives from from back in the day on a single arcade cabinet, then so be it, don't gatekeep, because I think that's one thing that will stop arcades coming back, will be our generation gatekeeping what's acceptable. Yeah, I completely agree. So we've reached a point where the, the people like Gen X, like us, who we grew up with, games as part of their life they've demanded more and more deep experiences and longer it just translates to longer in a lot of play a lot of you know circumstances yeah which is you know fine but you also still need the arcadey ones and and it's kind of breaking out of the mold of thinking well we can't make arcade games because people demand better value for money it's like well i don't think they do i think what you could do is like you said you, you just like rent a space and then you get into procuring some of those self-build cabinets and also maybe getting together some PCs and putting them into boxes, you know, putting them into stand-up cabs and sit-down cabs. Yep. Getting the, the tech, you know, which is you can get second-hand and cheap, but, but is robust. So you could buy like a steering wheel for, you know, 100 quid and set it up with the PC and away you go. And then you could yep. do a thing where people pay £5 to get in it, it gives them a card that, that they can slot into the machine and it yep. takes credits from it. And then, you, you know, you can either leave at the end of that or you can get your card recharged and carry on playing. And, and all of these things use existing technology. Yeah. It's not like going, okay, well, to restart the arcade scene, we'd need to have bespoke cabinets that cost tens of thousands. No, you could do it really cheap and still like self-developed products that that people uh, really, really want to experience. Because ask how many people have played Half-Life Alex, which is one of the best games of the last 10 years, and I bet you it's, you know, it's a hundred, it's hundreds of thousands yeah. rather than millions. And you could you could have that available. You could have it playable. Oh, yeah, I'd, 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 go, to, I'd go to an arcade and I'd happily pay, say, an extra an extra couple of quid or whatever uh, to get onto the VR set to play Half-Life Alex to give it a go. Yeah. Or other, or other you know, um, other uh, VR experiences. I mean, I still remember you used to have that. What was that one, like the like the tank or what was it, like massive like fight uh, war game where you put the VR unit on your head, you kind of stood in the middle of something, you still turned around and you were shooting. Um, the, you know, that was a VR experience. It, it was fun at the time. I used to go down to the old roller bowl where I used to live, play that, play some um, Star Wars pod racer, play some virtual tennis and then go bowling. And yeah, it's, I mean, again, with the gatekeeping side of it, I go back to sort of like Pac-Man on the Pandora box. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's not a pure one-to-one experience from the original, like the original arcade game. It's not, it's playable and it's fun. And that's fine for an arcade because who the hell is going into an arcade and wanting complete concentration because they've got to get that top score on Pac-Man? That's never what a part. That's never what an arcade was. You do that, you turn into Billy Mitchell, and no one wants that. Yeah, and I think you know it, it harkens back to my you know irritation with nostalgia and, and 
the way that people use it it's weaponized mm. and it's kind of like yeah you said gatekeeping it's all the same thing it's like well yeah you can have arcades but they've got to have the crts and they've got to have the original sticks and you've got to have the original artwork and i'm like nah screw that i think you know give people access to the older games if they want to play them but you you've proved now that there's people who go there because yeah they're they're old like me and they want to play old games i don't but you know that's a different argument but they're bringing kids along who are playing them as new and they like that experience now that doesn't mean that you recreate those arcades over and over and over again that are full of you know dig dug and puzzle bobble and you know all of that and nothing else Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, whoa, yeah, yeah, whoa. yeah, yeah. No, you can, whoa, whoa. I said I'm nothing puzzle, else. Puzzle Bobble, if you give me a Puzzle Bobble OD arcade, I'm in. Yeah, you see, you're undermining my <laughs> argument already. <laughs> you are the problem. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so, yeah, now have all of that stuff, but that, you know, is not the focus. The focus is, yeah, that's available if you want it. Here it is on a multi-arcade machine. You can select the retro game you want. Off you go. Stick four or ca- four, three or four cabs of that in the corner. But you need to have new stuff because you want to have new experiences. And, yeah. you know, yeah, do that and people will, will turn up. Promise. Yeah, look look at how people are, look at what some developers are doing with that, that uh, what's that play date thing and stuff like that, where they're just one and done experiences because they're just, they're fun, cheap to do. Five minutes, you're done. And that's what an arcade game needs to be. Five minutes and you're done. It's why we saw, we've discussed this before, and I don't want to go too far into it, why certain arcade games never transitioned properly to the home because they had to expand them because they weren't anything beyond fun five to ten minute experiences. And the second you tried to make them more than that, you started seeing the holes. Whereas you could make a great five minute experience for any system and have a great time with it. And that's suited, I think, for the arcade. And again, I think we've we've learned so much in terms of what, what we could do to ha- create fun. The going to the arcades now can be a, a, a different experience. It can be a social experience again. Um, you know, I used to we used to crowd around like when everyone was having a go without one on the arcade, the one near us, there was one that had like the actual full Ferrari setup and everything. We used to crowd around, you know, some of us wouldn't even play it because we didn't have any cash, but we'd all crowd around the other mates who were playing it and trying to do their time and obviously trying to stamp on the uh, accelerator and brake when they didn't want us to and all, all stuff like that. And I, I was offered the arm candy to sat in the passenger seat. Just just, just going to point out. Uh, <laughs> but it's, oh, you fill uh, that role beautifully. I do, I do. Uh, but, you know, they were fun experiences because they were social, single-player games that were still social because they were fun. And I honestly think that could come back. But yeah, we've gone off on a tangent there. What game was you playing? VR hover racing or something? I had to look it up because I keep forgetting exactly what it's called as well. But it's, it's V Racer Hover Bike. Right. So coming to an arcade near you in the next 10 years. And it'll still be new to people at that point. Yes. Yeah. Most VR games will be. Exactly. I still want to play that one that you kind of like. It's a music-based one where you beat things. I don't know. I still want to play that Oh, one. Beat Saber. Uh, yeah, that's a crap. Yeah, that's the one yeah. everyone goes on about. That would be a good arcade game. Yes, it would. Yeah, definitely. Right, but right. so in the spirit of arcade games, what was really interesting, obviously Monkey Ball Banana Mania came out recently um, and I played the... Ma- I was always a banana... Uh, Blur. Super. I was always a Super Monkey Ball uh, fan for the puzzle elements of it, the actual main game. Whereas I know a lot of people were, they really preferred the mini games. So I wasn't as angered when it came out over the um, 
over the issues around Monkey Target. But again, um, I, I'm assuming you saw some of the reactions to the Monkey Target. Actually, part no, of I, it. the whole I didn't even know it had come out. I thought it was still pending. I've, like, I've paid no attention because I'm an ignoramus. That's fine. People got angry oh, because yeah. they changed the physics of Monkey Target. Now, I get it because Monkey Target is fun. It is the best of the mini games, that and bowling. So what what's happened is people go ah oh, blah 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 blah, but someone a, 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 I think it's a part part the like two a, a partners have done it, and they've made what is essentially an expanded monkey target game. It's called Benito Days, um, and it's kind of mainly monkey target, but mixed in with a just a a little splash, shall we say, just just a little sprinkle of nights into dreams. Whoa, you have my attention. <laughs> mm. And it takes the monkey target experience and for the first time, and again, I'm wondering why it's taken more than 10, 15 years for this to happen. And gone, look, this is a really good thing, but it can be expanded upon. And they've done it well. There are a couple of issues I personally have that others won't have. But anyway, essentially, it's not a monkey. You are like this fish kind of thing. And you kind of roll this fish down a ramp, you fling it off the ramp, and the idea is the end game to go and land it on a target and get the best score on the target as possible. But you collect power-ups and stuff like that as you go. And it's like in a way of like you go through um, circles and collect stars, very much like that. See where you get the Nights into Dreams part on it. And it's very much expanded, so you can kind of go places with it. It's, but it takes, basically, it takes Monkey Target, takes the what look like always the fun bits of Nights into Dreams, and kind of blends them just really, really well. And it's definitely more monkey target than anything else. But it just works. And again, I can't believe this hasn't been done before. You play it and just go, this is so obvious. Um, instead yeah. of right, trying to like bring monkey target back as it was, why not just build on it? And again, it's where indie games come in. And that's what the developers of Benito Days have done. Issues I do have, it's a very, very bright game. It's very bright and like the the color chart, the color palette is very subtle. So I I can, I'm almost like can't play it at times. My eyes have to be really really good for me to be able to play it. Otherwise, it's just too bright. I can't see the targets. I can't see where the bonuses are. Um, a dark mode would be welcome, but I get it. This is their art style. The very pastel pas type thing going on. But, um, yeah, it's really, when I have seen it properly and I have been able to play it, I've put a couple of hours into it. I'm a, a fair few levels in. It's really good. There's no, doesn't do any score tracking, no leaderboards or anything like that that I've noticed. But that doesn't bother me. It would maybe be nice to do some stat tracking to try and sort of like, you know, am I improving? Am I getting better? But at the same time, I just really enjoy the idea of, playing the monkey target type thing with just an expanded scoring system and yeah it's just a really really fun game it's about eight quid on the switch definitely worth checking out well as you know knights is my favorite game of all time or possibly well, it might be breath of the wild it's competing but you know it's right up there it's absolutely miraculous to me that game so i am gonna definitely be checking that out probably as soon as we stop recording Mm. Yeah, as I said, it's more monkey target than knights, but you will see the knights inspiration behind it in, in, in some parts. It's just, it's really good. Up to four players as well, which is really good. So it's a, a good, again, again, this is where I've got the arcade from. It's short, quick levels, 
play it with four of you uh, um, in, in, in the family or if you've got friends round. It's just, yeah, it's just one of those perfectly. So it works single player, but would be a really fun game to stick on at a gathering and stuff like that as well. Awesome. Nice one. But yeah, it, uh, dark mode, please. That's just the only thing I would say. But that's, again, that's probably maybe me being a little bit selfish. I don't think so. I was, uh, not that it really matters, but I was playing mini motorways the other day and that I can't play that for more than five minutes without switching to a dark mode. I mean, I could turn yeah. the brightness right the way down on whatever screen I was using, but, you know, yeah, might as well flip it to dark mode because it's that whole thing of it just being pure white the entire time is really awful yeah. for me. Yeah, yeah. It's like, again, if it's bad for you, that sort of thing. Again, imagine what it's like for someone who really suffers with because of brightness and the way that bleeds um, into your vision and cause blurriness. And it just gets worse and worse. But And this, unfortunately, does suffer from that. But this is an art style choice. It's not an accessibility issue. It's an art style, uh, an art style choice. So I can't begrudge them too much. I'm not going to call them out too much on it. But again, just maybe a reverse palette would be nice if they could do it. Yeah, I think we're, I feel like we're kind of getting to the stage where it's inexcusable now, even if you're an indie dev, because I, I mm. can't see there being a big technical issue with adding in a, a an inverted cause mode or, you know, a, a dark mode or whatever. Um, you know, I'm looking at it now and like all of the, the items that you have to collect are really brightly coloured and it's kind yeah. of like you could just do it so you turn them black and that would solve a lot of trouble i could imagine you know just just doing that without doing anything else and a palette swap is nothing so yeah come on people you know get your fingers out yeah yeah no, i i do i could i completely agree i said i still i don't want to put it on indie devs especially like the smaller smaller teams but again i think if we can start getting indie devs doing it it will start to feed up hopefully more and more um, it, we, I, I think we'll get there one day. I, I don't want to label on it as a negative thing because I think overall, I think this is a fantastic game, and it's you know I'm in a minority when it comes to this. But we'll see, we'll see. You know, maybe they'll listen to this, take on the feedback, and just do a, a, a palette swap. Yeah, that would be good. That really would. Yeah. So we've got what's next from from you? Well, the next one is is a real discovery. I was really, really chuffed about. Oh, very, very fortunate to have been able to have a go off. Um, I was watching a channel, a YouTube channel of a guy who talks about VR stuff and sort of focuses mm-hmm. on the, the more sort of new and exciting experiences as often as he can. And it's he was going through recent uh, like homebrew adaptations of games. Uh, there's a movement called flat screen to VR, which is you know exactly what it says: getting regular games to work in VR in a full full manner. And they mentioned one that I thought would work really well, uh, which is Risk of Rain Two. Hmm. And it's Risk of Rain Two is like a shooter. Uh, it's kind of shoot as many things as you can before you get killed, horde mode type thing. Yeah, in cell shaded style in the Unity engine. And I had no interest in it whatsoever until I heard it was in VR. And then I was like, yeah, that can work. You know, that'll add an extra, literally, dimension to it. And uh, it'll be cheap. And it was. It was five ninety nine. So I bought that one and did all the mod, which was actually pretty easy. And it's fantastic. So what holds back some VR mod things is that unless you've got, unless you've, 
programmed in the things that you need to properly turn something VR, then it doesn't really work properly. And and that means having a customizable menu that allows you to change the settings. And I'm talking about things like whether you have full free movement or whether you have incremental uh, like degree switching of, of your view. So, you know, well, your right stick, basically. Instead of it just being a smooth turn, you want it to move in in, in larger increments because of, you know, you need that speed when you're in VR. Um, and, you know, well, there are all sorts of other comfort and accessibility VR options. And they've got it all in there. They've custom made and added, so seamlessly, a... VR settings addition to that menu. All right. And it's just, it's just, honestly, you can't, well, there's one thing that you can't adjust that uh, was a bit of an issue for me, but only a small one. But other than that, which I'll talk about in a sec, it was absolutely, you would not know that it wasn't a VR design game. So yeah, I mean, what happens is you, you start off by being dropped onto a planet in a capsule, and then you have to kill as many things as you can without being killed yourself. And you choose a character to use. I've only got the two default ones unlocked at the moment. And the the guy that I've picked is dual-wielding pistols. And you have like a regular attack, a special attack, and a special two special options. And they could be different things like dashes and healing and, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. And it just works brilliantly. It, it's so good. It The visuals look really good. They don't blur or, or kind of get too heavy. The, the pace of it isn't too fast so that you feel ill. The comfort options are all there. The the way that you aim means that you're really efficient because you're using your hands to, to like aim and stuff. Uh, but you can you know, move around with the sticks. Uh, and it just works brilliantly. There's a slight aiming tilt when you tilt your head, so which is great. It's very, very, very small. It's not like, you know, six axis or, you know, anything like that kind of big movements and stuff like that it's just like a tiny tiny tilt yeah which just assists with your movement and uh yeah loads of care and consideration has been put into it. it's completely free um the only thing it was missing was it doesn't have a seated mode so in there's this thing in vr options where um for games that are assumed that you're going to be standing like this sort of game because yeah. movement is much easier in a shoot in a first person shooter when you're standing up you can choose a seated mode and what it will do is it'll adjust the height so that it, it still shows your characters at standing height even though you're sat uh, and it doesn't have that so when you sat down it uh it looks like you're kind of scooting along on your bum in the environment right um, yeah and you know it's not me being lazy i've got a damaged knee i can't stand at the moment for for long periods so i need sitting options and um yeah so that was a, a missing so i might tell them about that but when i do tell them about that that'll be one tiny sentence in a massive paragraph of just effusive praise it's the it's by far the best hacked together vr game i've ever played to the like i say to the point where you would not really believe it wasn't done natively in vr and i've seen full vr releases that have fewer options about vr than than this does even so it's it's a it's remarkable it's remarkable yeah i I think we i'd love to talk more about uh the modding community down, down the line because they could transform games you know, old games, new games, whatever, they could completely transform them. And the ones that could turn a non-VR game into a VR game, I, I that blows my mind that they're able to do that without being the official devs and stuff like that. And amazing. Yeah, it sounds sounds like a really fun experience. Um, and again, I think with the modern community, it's sort of thing, again, you can feed back 
and you know that there's a good chance what your feedback can be fixed. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, the the game has all gone through its cycle. They're picking something up and they're just they're tweaking it to be the best version of it that it possibly can. And I think, you know, like you say, with the modding community giving honest feedback about features and additions is is really valuable to them as much as it is to you. Yeah. So yeah, it's an absolutely fantastic thing. Yeah, no, uh, I hope, I'm guessing we'll hear more about that one down the line as well. It sounds really interesting. So. Yeah, well, you'll definitely be hearing more about uh, the whole flat screen to VR movement because I think it's pretty big. I think it's really needed, especially as we heard about Facebook changing to Meta. Now, in the last uh, couple of yeah, I know couple of podcasts in the past, I've mentioned. Oh yeah, I, well, I don't know. I'm not sure what they're doing with the Quest Three or a Quest Pro. They're going to have this, you know, Facebook announcement day thing, and they're going to talk about it. Anyway, turns out that yes, they're going to try and force everybody to use VR slash AR headsets the entire time, and it looks like their gaming model for the what the Quest is going to be is going to just be like Apple Arcade that you use it. You know, you use that device for all sorts of functions and gaming is just a part of it and they're going to be small experiences. So flat screens of VR and showing that there's a market for turning, for, for having VR options in a mainstream game is going to be more and more important. And a really good development is that they're, uh, I can't remember the name of the engine, but the engine that uh, Resident Evil 7 and 8 are based on, they've practically cracked that now. So yeah. 7 and 8 are going to get full VR modes soon full modded vr modes and i'm gonna oh, wow. uh, you know because obviously seven came out on ps vr but it never got a vr version on the pc so that they're doing that no and seven for me was still one of the best vr experiences i think i've had as well yeah there you go and uh eight never had a vr mode so yeah it's it's really exciting wow yeah no interested hearing more about that down the line so I've got two more games that I'm going to talk about. One I'm just going to touch on briefly because I've I've been playing it on and off for, I want to say, a few weeks now. Uh, I, I keep meaning to mention it, but I keep forgetting. So I'm going to mention it now. It's called Chessplosion. It's an indie game made by a, a small team. I don't play many of those. <laughs> yeah, never talk about them either. No, never. Um, and essentially what you've got here is... I don't want to boil it down to chess, but with Bomberman. But I suppose that's the best way of describing it. So it's an arcade action puzzle game set on a chess board. And what you do is you drop chess-shaped bombs into the playing area. And obviously different chess pieces move in different ways and that affects how the bombs go. So you kind of put pieces down and you kind of create, the idea is to create this like chain chain effect. So you, you put one down and it will create a bomb explosion to another one, which will hit another one, create another one and create another one. Um, you create these train reactions to try and trap opponents and defeat enemies and different bosses within the area. And it, it's one of those games where you look at it and just go, that seems needlessly complicated but it's not it's it takes you don't need to know how to play chess which is which is the weirdest thing about it because someone who knows how to play chess you don't need to know how to play chess but it can teach you chess and why understanding chess can get you further into the game um, so it's like you don't you know do you know when you like play i don't know magic the gathering for example or pokemon you don't need to understand the most in-depth things about it it's you play cards to try and beat the other person you get that simplicity but the more you learn the better and more rewarding the experience is 
And that's the same with chess explosion. You've got so there's like this adventure mode, which is almost like it's like a giant tutorial, I suppose, in a way. And then there's like a puzzle mode, which gives you like limited bombs. There's survival mode where you need to try and survive in it as well. And you've got battle mode that can be played, I think, online and against the AI as well. And it just it, it just plays really, really well. It's a it's a great take on two different genres. And I say, it's where you place them down, is how the explosions go, and the enemies are moving at the same time, so you have to almost preempt where enemies are moving on the ball to try and catch them. So, you know, it's, it's just so many little subtle themes. I, I don't think I'll go into it in too much detail without making it overcomplicated in the description. Um, I say, all I can really say is play it and it just it just makes sense. Um, I mean, there's one of the enemies, the queen in it, is like a bullet hell type boss. Like the rooks, they charge, they charge at you and stuff like that. And it's just it's got so many different layers on it, and it feels like it should be slow paced in a way. And it's like, oh, it's you know, is it a bit lethargic to play? Because Tetris could be not Tetris, sorry, I think Tetris chess could be a little bit slow paced, and I get why some people don't like it. Um, I love the strategy of it, but this kind of brings up the pace a bit and, and makes it work in a way that chess can be confusing to people. It takes that confusion out of it using bombs and attacks in certain ways. It's just a really good, fun game. You've just inadvertently created a new game called, you're saying Chestress. I just imagine now, you know, the pieces dropping down the well and they can only move into spaces that using chess moves. Uh, there you go. There's a free idea for everybody. Um, oh my god, I want. <laughs> I know. I thought you would, but yeah. No. You, to be fair, you could put anything with Tetris, and I'll go. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, I'm done. FPS Tetris, yeah. Do you know that's not a bad idea? You have to shoot things in it. Okay, we could go on forever with this, but yeah, no. <laughs> chess potion looks really good. Um, I'd yeah. I'd seen it a little while ago, and yeah, you've just refreshed my memory. What a cracking idea! You know, dead simple, but seems to just work really well it's one of them that i i yeah i think focusing on a switch version a handheld version would be the best um yeah which means i will probably wait and get it when i get my steam deck because it'd be ideal on that because it'll be cheaper yeah oh it will be and it's so again this probably comes down to the whole what 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 the people see as worthwhile puzzle games seems to have this thing where people don't see puzzle games as vital to like you know people here see a price for puzzle games and go ah it's a bit expensive for a puzzle game and that that really does my head in because puzzle games will give you the most bang for your buck you pay 30 quid for tetris you're gonna get probably more per hour in terms of value than most other games you'll play chess explosions just over nine quid i think i got it in a sale um i think i got it quite lucky i think i got it for about like 7.99 or something like that and I, I'm anything that's chess based and tries to do something different with it. Yep, all over that. 5D chess tried it, couldn't do it. But yeah, but this really like it. It's just over nine quid. And honestly, that is it. Could, they could charge double that, and you're still getting value for money out of it with what's in there. You know, there's there's well over a hundred different mode like puzzles modes in there with adventure mode and stuff like that. It all comes together. Uh, yeah, it's a wonderful little package. So. 
Uh, and what's really good, sorry, what's really good as well on the accessibility side of this is you can get help. So if you are struggling, it's got like a full-on assist mode, which doesn't play the game for you, but really gives you some good, look, have you tried doing this type things? And it helps you learn uh, throughout the game, but it doesn't punish you for it at the same time. So again, really good accessibilities in there. Just just under a tenner, I say, yeah, handheld, this would be perfect for. If this was on Switch, gladly, but Steam Deck coming, it was ideal for on, on the go on Steam Deck for sure. Yeah, I think that puzzle games can be a little bit of a tougher sell. And I think some of it is is the fault of the, um, you know, the, the buying public in that, you know, they, they're often not the most beautiful games. They're not right. pushing the boundaries very much. But a lot of it's just the, you know, the fault of the universe in that you... Often with puzzle games, you don't know if you're going to like them until you've played them. And some of them, you don't know if you're going to like them until you've played them for quite a while. And you, you can get stung a little bit by going, oh, that looks great, buying it and it's crap. Uh, or you can, like, ignore something that was absolutely fantastic. I mean, you know, I didn't play Super Puzzle Fighter for years because I looked at it and I was just like, oh, I'm not going to like that. Um, and then I had a game at a friend's house and I was like, oh, this is cracking, you know. So, yeah. and it works in both directions. So it is, yeah, it's a tougher sell. And I think people then price it lower because they think, well, it's better to make some money off off it and you know, get underpaid than it is to make no money off it at all, <laughs> um, yeah. which is not fair, but yeah, it's, it's that's the way it is. Well, uh, you look at games like Ecstasy and Mixalumia, uh, again, as much as I will talk up Tetris and Tetris Effect, which is the best game of the year and will be my game of the year, games like Ecstasy and Mixalumia should should be in that discussion because they are that damn good. Chessplosion, I think, is a game that should be in that discussion when we're talking about games of the year. I hate that we have this overall game of the year. I really do because you can have your favourite game, which is fine. And, you know, I would, I Tetris would trump everything for me. But then I'm not going to turn around and say, oh, but so-and-so doesn't work because, you know, it's not, it doesn't fit into this particular job. But, I could turn around and go like uh, Benito Days, one of the best arcade games I've played this year. And, but, you know, so it's, that's up there. That's in that discussion for me as one of the best arcade games I've played, but doesn't fit into that same genre as Tetris for me, which is my overall top game. So I think we need, I'd love to see more and more people getting exposure to sort of great puzzle games. And as I said, I, I, I will beat the drum for Ecstasy, one, because it is the best accessibility options in a game that I've seen for years. Um, it plays really well. It takes two, two, existing games and somehow make something feel fresh about them Mixalumia we've spoke about on so many occasions um, but all wonderful games and yeah I want to see more of these games just get the the audience they absolutely deserve yes I, I'm hopeful that the future is good bright for these things because what you've got with Game Pass uh, is that it's it's going to be forcing other companies to follow the same route. There's there's no yeah. doubt about it, and you know I think we're seeing it already with the the PlayStation Five and a PlayStation in general thinking now. Well, we've got to start moving on to PC because it's this really lucrative market that we've not really exploited, and you know we, we it's a, it's a revenue stream that we're ignoring. And if they do that, it would be far they get even more revenue if they create a subscription service that people can get onto. And if you do that, then you can go on to Cura, you can play 
curated games that you wouldn't yep. necessarily buy, and particularly yep. puzzle games, because there's there's a, well, everyone has their own genres that they're a you know, well just like I'm leaping on that and paying the money. I'm not even looking twice. And those who go, well, that's a very much a wait and see or wait for it to be cheap, and it erases yep. that barrier for people. So yeah, I'm hopeful that puzzle games will get a really good treatment from that. Well, we're we're going into a month where you've got Halo Infinite and Forza Five, Forza Horizon Five releasing on 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 Xbox, and the game that seems to be getting the most love so far on on Game Pass is a a, a lovely little puzzle game that I've not been able to play yet because it, again it looks just a bit too bright for me at the moment. Called Unpacking, where the concept is you just unpack boxes because you've moved home and you've got to put things in the right places. And that's all it is. It's relaxing. It's a puzzle game. And everyone I've heard talk about is like, you've got to try this game. You've got to try this game on Game Pass. We could wax lyrical about Game Pass and other subscription services. And there's a chat, an overall chat I actually want to have down the line about it. But again, we've seen when you get these these games into the right places, they do get the momentum. But getting them into the right places and getting the eyes on them is so difficult at the moment but yeah obviously check out chestplosion is what i'm totally trying to say with this one it's one that's going to fly under the radar ed boone likes it so you know so yeah it's uh it's one i'm definitely getting but with the caveat that it, it won't be until i have the steam deck which will hopefully be in the early part of next year which crazily is only a couple of months away now so i know i keep thinking i've got ages i wasn't going to get it because my son changed his mind and wants um, a will for his birthday and christmas and stuff like that so it's like oh okay i should probably cancel that but i'm still looking at going it's only a fiver down so far and i really <laughs> really 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 want it I I, 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 I I can find I've got time and they're looking at it going oh crap I haven't actually got that much time no nope. it's um, just um, unbelievable how fast everything's going it's just nuts yeah. but um, on the plus side if you get it you can probably sell it for a profit immediately <laughs> if you really didn't you know if you needed the money or you didn't want it so no I, I just want a portable windy machine I, I really want one I will find a way I will find a way um, I might set up a GoFundMe <laughs> don't know why yeah people love to buy people presents through GoFundMe's rather than you know anything important <laughs> yeah uh, yeah I need a ste- I need a Steam Deck to keep mental health gaming going yeah <laughs> or I could or I could get what again or I've lost a year of my life. What I could do with having my vision back so I can actually get the videos going again and everything and actually give people a reason to want to support us on Patreon and stuff. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. (laughs) So the final game I've been playing was sent to me as a review code and that is Dying Light on the Switch, the the Platinum Edition. Now, I had an internal discussion with myself over this. Dying Light, was it ever a triple A game or was it only double A? Where, oh. where would you put it? Oh, it was never a triple A game when it came out. No. No. Definitely, no. Definitely right. I say, although Dead Island wasn't, the, 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 that was hyped up to buggery because obviously that's probably the most infamous trailer in all the gaming. But I know that was that was B movie game in a in a that seemed to have a studio budget for marketing. Dying Light, I remember playing that first time round and kind of really really enjoying it and they're going where's the hype where's the hype lots of people seem to be talking about it but not in a way that 
seem to be overly positive all the time about it. There seem to be a lot of, "Eh, it's all right, but, you know, there's this and that. And I just really enjoyed it. And then I I kind of bounced off it because it's like the one thing it... I had an issue with the game was that there was a lot of faffing around um, and I, I didn't have enough time to sit at a TV and faff around. So I remember him seeing that as one of the guys going, oh, do you know what? That would be really good on. That would be really good on the Vita, like remote play yeah. on the Vita. So yeah. I could, you know, just, just pop it on, on the Vita and do the faffing around bit and then just do the main quests when I'm at home and stuff like that. And um, so it kind of never got round to it. And then he got the following DLC, which I tried, and that was really good. It, it was janky in places. But anyway, uh, Dying Light 2 is coming out later this year or early next year. And as part of that, they've released their Platinum Edition. Uh, Dying Light 2 is coming to the Switch as a remote play game or whatever it's called. A cloud game, sorry. But they've released Dying Light Platinum Edition as a native game on the Switch. So I was like, do you know what? Yeah, I, I want to give this a go again. I, I really do want to give this a go. Um, I'm not going to review the game itself. I think it's you know it's old enough people know about it. It plays, if you liked Dying Light, you're going to like Dying Light. If you didn't like Dying Light, you're not going to like Dying Light. Um, again, the fact they've got this working well on a Switch is impressive. I've not, again, I've not noticed any major slowdown or, or anything like that. And I'm having a really good time with it. I had to put early parts of it on a bigger screen because the, the tiny text, that again, the big problem with any of these games on handheld, tiny text, tiny maps. So I had to play it on the big screen to get going. But I've been playing the bulk of the game on the monitor. And then just faffing around doing side quests and little fetch quests and things like that on handheld. And it works really, really, really well for that. And I think it's, again, it's why I really, despite the issues, I said I'll come back round to it, the issues with The Witcher 3 on a technical level that they had to take stuff away. The fact that I could just potter around in handheld mode was enough for me for to, to make that game last. You know, I'll do oh, I'll just put the put it on the big TV, do the big missions and stuff like that, the, the meat of it, and then just do the faffing around parts on, on, on the whole handheld. Um, and again, Dying Light really lends itself to it really, really well. Um, and what I'm interested to see bit leading on from that is how well something like GTA does on the Switch, because again, I think that lends itself really well to the faffing around bit, to, to being able to take that handheld. But yeah, Dying Light, did you ever play the original release of Dying Light? No, no, I've never played it. No, really, really good. It's, a, it's an under-the-radar game. It's definitely an under-the-radar game. It's um, It doesn't push anything. You know, I, the, um, I, I'm, I'm playing it on uh, story mode, which is like easy mode at the moment, um, just because I'm getting old and I haven't got time for the challenge. But it's um, like the idea of like at night, like the, the zombies and that, they can start free running and like proper going after you. So you've got to get to safety, but you're the one with more power probably during the day. And unless you're a complete idiot, you should be able to get through. Uh, but it, the setting works really well. I think this, it's got a decent enough story. It's a little bit too single American guy comes in and saves the day from the savages. Uh, it's aged, but even, yeah, even though it's only, what, five, six years old, 
it's aged that little bit poorly there but it's um but overall i think it's a you know it tries to tell a decent story for its time it plays well um it controls well on the switch you know i'm, I'm not i'm not fighting the the joy cons with it and yeah just generally it's a really good port again so it'd be interesting to see what the um what the the sequel actually has because with that being cloud-based on the switch how much it has actually improved on the original game but the original one runs really really well a really good game yeah i think that's one of the it's not like a revolution but i think that's one of the things that's just going to be much much more common of like being able to play things on multiple devices in in different formats and different uh you know different focus depending on which format you're using and mm. streaming parts of it but recognizing it can't be fully streamed because of latency and stuff like that so yeah no that's really cool and it, it's good that you're using the switch in that way and i think the only reason that it is is because nintendo have, have got so much clout and they've got so much money that they're able to put that kind of thing in whereas you know if it was any other handheld you just couldn't you know afford it but it's got such a massive user base uh and so many people using it in so many different ways that you can so yeah no that's really good thumbs up for that yeah i don't know about any of the i think it's had like the uh remaster treatment re-release treatment or whatever via like the xbox series and playstation 5 and pc and everything, but um, yeah, the Switch version. Again, if I was going to play it, it wasn't that I was going to play it like full blown again because I've done that. It was purely intrigued to play it on the Switch. And again, I, I, I would be happy with a game that basically had a, a full blown mode, so a TV mode and handheld mode. So that, that if you played it in handheld, it actually just changed the game a bit, maybe allowed you to do other stuff or, or you know, took out the meaty parts, which then could be powered via a, a, a docked system down the line. I, I, I think we, I'd like to see something like that where you play a more meatier version of a game on the TV, but could take a handheld version away with you that allows you still to progress in certain ways i think very much like the dreamcast tried to do with the vmu which i still think is okay the dreamcast so ahead of its time many saying a thing so ahead of their time i think that is the precursor to remote play and the switch and stuff like that and they've done that with like being able to raise your chocobo and stuff like that in certain games yeah so you know again i I don't think the switch as we see it now is going to be the end game i i i want to see what developers could do in terms of actually how can we utilize a future switch from big screen gameplay to handheld gameplay yeah it's it's really sort of interesting time it's going to be good to see where it goes definitely Mm. and if you can't do it on that take it to the arcades oh yes please (laughs) Uh, but yeah no that's it for me i've, I've played uh my year's worth of uh big budget games i know uh, that's that done. a couple of da- <laughs> and a couple of days worth of indies do you think that you will play the big ones coming up like halo and forza uh yes um yeah only one reason they're on game pass yeah yeah i i honestly i treat game pass for AAA games like most people treat game pass or indie games i know <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah no i'll, I'll give i mean um Halo Infinite, I mean, Halo, it's a, it's a legacy, Halo, now. I think, it, you know, it's, it's gaming royalty. 
Um, so yes, I'm going to give that a go one way or another. Or and I believe we, as I said, I think I put on Twitter, I feel like we're the only outlet that didn't request a review code for Forza Horizon 5 because everyone's re- reviewing it and it's doing really, really well on the reviews. So yeah, that's it really for this week. I've been playing plenty of games while this play catch up. I didn't really want to talk about anything mental health wise. We've, I think, I've been through a lot. I know you've been through quite a bit as well, Stu. Um, other people we know are going through some stuff. And I think we can agree sometimes helping mental health, your own mental health and maybe for others is to not talk about it and to just, again, a bit of a, bit of a palate cleanser just to take your mind off of the crap that's going round. So um, hopefully, if anything, me going on about accessibility in games and telling you you've got to play these indie games Shoe mentioning vr again and us having a bit of a chat about arcade hopefully that's taking your mind off things for an hour or so so yeah no thank you and as usual unless Shoe's got any other games to end i've, I've, I've just gone no we're done now but Shoe might have a Shoe might be played a game that none of you have ever thought of before <laughs> that could be the best thing ever or he could take us out I'll leave it up to him. I've got a couple. I mean, you you mentioned you might have noticed I mentioned mini motorways earlier. Yes. I might talk about. I've only really just started, so I'll talk about that more next week. And funnily enough, you mentioned in Dying Light, I found that I've got in my library in Steam, but not installed, uh, The Walking Dead: Saints and Sinners, which is a VR game, and uh, it's got a good rep. Uh, I didn't even know I had it. I must have got a free key or part of a bundle or something. So I'll have to have a go of that as well and report back. So those two are probably going to crop up next week. But yeah, no, apart from that, for now, that's it. And I hope you all take care and look after yourselves and seek out the things that make you happy. And apart from that, just stay safe and stay sane. Mm-hmm.